You are this country's first openly gay prime minister. How big a deal is this for you personally? Brexit process. U.S. investment bank Lehman Brothers collapsed. I said this was a once in a generation a vote. financial crisis. But I believe we have voted today for the next generation. Don't be rude. Welcome to the Dublin Law and Politics Review podcast, in which we discuss current political events. My name is Neve Quinlan, and with me today is Ramesh Gonaharity, a PhD student at DCU, with whom I will discuss citizenship and contested statehood in de facto states. If you like this podcast, don't forget to subscribe and follow us on social media via at Dublin LPR. So Ramesh, just to get started, could you explain your research, please? Thank you for having me. So my research focuses on the broader question of what it means to be a citizen of a de facto state. Some people may call it them unrecognized states. And there are a number of de facto states in the world. So it really depends on how you categorize them. But common examples that are often cited that our listeners might have heard of would be Kosovo or Palestine or Taiwan, for example. But in my research, I primarily focus on the de facto states in the post-Soviet space. So I'm looking at particularly at the cases of Abkhazia, South Ossetia, which are breakaway territories of Georgia, and Transnistria, which is between Moldova and Ukraine. That's great. These de facto states, could you define what a de facto state actually is? What is a de facto state? Yeah, that's quite a good question because it really depends on how you define the different criteria. And there's actually an anecdote within the literature is person asks, how do you define a de facto state? And the answer is, well, I'll know it when I see it. So that's that's kind of how it is. But in general, there are a number of criteria, which firstly, a de facto state is an entity with which has self-government and effective control over a claimed territory. They have a particular leadership that wants to show that they're a legitimate entity. So they are interacting with the people living within the territory that they claim and try to show that they are a legitimate government. Thirdly, and I guess the most important part is that they want to become a sovereign state. So they want to become an independent state, but the recognition that they have received is either zero or very limited. And also the last criteria is that they should have existed for an X period of time. And what that X period of time, generally it's two years, but again, that's quite an arbitrary number as well. And um, why are you specifically looking at post-Soviet countries? So the post-Soviet aspect is really from a practical point of view in the sense of me having quite relatively easy access to those regions because of my background, I speak Russian, and that's, that's really the main reason behind choosing the post-Soviet space from a practical point of view. But also, from an academic point of view, what happens is that these de facto states are always clumped together in this one bunch of, well, they're de facto states, and that's it. But actually, they're very fascinating cases because there's so many nuances between them to study and compare what it is like to be a citizen of a de facto state within the post-Soviet space, because a lot is so similar, but then they're very different. I mean, for example, if you compare, let's say Palestine and Abkhazia, they're very different naturally, and then they may not be even be comparable, but the post-Soviet space, you have these cases comparable, but still very unique at the same time. And um, 
for citizenship in these states. Could you define what you mean by citizenship? Ultimately, this is quite a broad concept, and it can mean many things ranging from legal status to identity, right? Yeah, indeed, you're absolutely right. So citizenship can mean many things, and at least in the English language, for the most part, we use citizenship and nationality quite interchangeably, and unless you go really down to the definitions of it, and again, it changes from discipline to discipline, so how legal experts would define it is different from how sociologists would say. So I take a very legalistic approach in my starting off point to differentiate between the two, because that to me seems to be the more clear cut definitions. So citizenship is really the relationship that you have with a political entity, whatever that is. And it basically, the citizenship gives you certain rights and privileges as a member of that community. So if a person is a fully fledged member of a certain community, then we could say he has citizenship and really citizenship from a legal point is a domestic concept. So it has nothing to do with international law or the international system. And that's where nationality comes in. So nationality really comes from the international relations, international legal system in short, you can only be a national of a state. So you can be a national of France, of Spain, but you cannot be a national of London. But you can be a citizen of London. You can be a citizen of Dublin County, for example. So really citizenship is a much broader concept. So it can be, you can also be a citizen of the United Kingdom. And historically, this was these were very different concepts, but over time, this has merged because you could think of when women got the right to vote in increasingly in countries. So they were all nationals in the 19th century, 18th century, but they were not full citizens because they did not have the right to vote. So with the development of the global system, these two concepts have merged and thus, that's why we now use them interchangeably. However, what I argue is for the case of de facto states, we should actually go back to this old definition of actually separating them out and analyzing them slightly separately. Very interesting. And um, what is then the citizenship status of the people in these de facto states? Are they stateless? Yeah, indeed. One would assume that because they are not nationals of a state, so Abkhazia, South Ossetia, Kosovo, because it's not recognized, it doesn't have statehood, you could argue that they are not nationals. And thus, they are stateless because a stateless person is someone who has no nationality of any state. So indeed, that's quite a logical assumption. But again, going to the difference between citizenship and nationality. So I would say they are full citizens of the communities. So they are full citizens of Abkhazia or Transnistria because they are engaged within the local political system. They vote, they have elections, and they can engage in the community. They pay their taxes, they get their pension. So they are engaging with the government of Abkhazia and then they have get, and they get certain rights and duties. If they break the law, you go to prison, etc. So thus, I would say they are full citizens of these de facto states, at least in the post-Soviet cases, but they are nationals of another state. So in this case, a lot of people in, for example, Abkhazia and South Ossetia, have Russian nationality, Russian passport. So thus, from an international law perspective, they are not stateless because they have this other nationality. So in Transnistria, 
they are not just Transnistrian citizens, but they also have maybe a Russian or a Ukrainian or a Moldovan nationality to go along with it. So that's they're in this liminal setup where at the same time on a local level, they can represent who they are, their identity of being Abkhazians or South Ossetians, but internationally they are not recognized. Okay. And um, what are some of the precarious situations that people living in de facto states face? Yeah, that can be quite problematic. So again, because many of the people living in these de facto states have a citizenship, so you could say that maybe their precariousness is not huge because they can engage with the local system. True. And then one may also argue that, well, because they have this other nationality, which actually is for compensatory purposes, because they, they are existing Abkhazian or Transnistrian citizenship is not recognized outside its borders. They need this other nationality to compensate for their rights. So thus, you could say, well, they can travel using their Russian passports. True. However, there are a number of nuances when it comes with being a citizen of a de facto state. So for example, the recognition of university degrees or recognition of your high school diploma, is it recognized? Not really. So it's only recognized in the countries that recognize Abkhazia or South Ossetia. So if you did study in Abkhazia at an Abkhazian university, yes, you can apply and do your masters, for example, in Russia, but you will not be able to come to Europe and do that, or it will be very difficult to do that because the question of is your education system recognized? Are your documents that have been issued recognized? Is your birth certificate recognized? So those are the questions that come up. It is something that we must think of that might affect these individuals. And another example is this is primarily concerning people in Eastern Ukraine, in Donetsk and Lugansk, as well as the territory of Crimea, when Many of them acquired Russian passports or were given Russian passports after the conflict that initiated in 2014. So they did acquire Russian nationality. However, these passports that are issued are not recognized by Ukraine or several EU states. So you are, still, you are Russian nationals, so legally you may have the nationality of a recognized state, but your travel document is not recognized because according to the Ukrainian perspective, it was issued illegally to these people. So that's another precarity that can occur. Would you tell me why you chose this topic as your research? What drove you to study this and look at this? Because it's so fascinating, but what was sort of the driving force behind you looking at this and being like, this needs to be studied and figured out? Yeah, so I started working on this topic also for my master's research as well, for my master's thesis. But what drove me to this topic was two things. So firstly, is I had always had a fascination about citizenship and its link to identity. I did that, focus that in my bachelor's as well. And that's because of my own background of having dual citizenship and various legal issues associated with being someone who is legally attached to two different entities, but also, of course, on an identity level as well. So that was something that always interested me, citizenship studies as a field. And then during my master's in international relations, we, we discussed contested territories at some point, and that also fascinated me, what happens in places that are legally not recognized or are gray zones. So I kind of put these two and two together. I wanted to see what it is like to be someone who lives in de facto states. And then I looked at the literature 
and there is very little literature out there on citizenship in de facto states. Individually, there's plenty of research on de facto statehood, and there's plenty of research on citizenship and identity, but this interlink, the intersection of this is very little and very underexplored. So that's why I ended up coming into this research. And I just do have another question. When you have your research completed and when everything is written up and you have it published, do you have any hopes of anything that will draw from this? Is, have you any aims or dreams, I suppose, as to anything good that will come out of your research? Yeah, so from a praxeological point of view, I guess what I really want to do is, depending, of course, on my finding, is to ensure that individuals from territories that are not recognized are able to participate in the international system, or at least give get an idea of how that can be done and give recommendations to whoever is interested in listening. And it's, it can be related to legal identity. That's another issue of that concerns individuals living in de facto states and in some places more than others. So for example, the legal status of individuals in many of the post-Soviet de facto states is quite solid compared to, for example, someone from Somaliland. A person from Somaliland, yes, they have a good, comparatively speaking, a good internal system, democracy, etc. But their parent state or the base state that they're trying to separate from is Somalia, which is not really a functioning entity by and large. So again, that because of that, people from Somaliland are treated as Somali citizens. And then that also becomes problematic, even though actually the quality of life and everything is better in Somaliland than Somalia. However, internationally, on paper, they're seen as Somalis. And then that becomes problematic again with travel, getting access to travel documents. And also, in some cases, it becomes problematic when, for example, in the case of Western Sahara, where majority of the people, majority of the Sahrawis are actually in exile in Algeria or in the rest of the world. And again, what is their legal status? Some of them have to rely on getting access to, they don't have a nationality of Algeria or Morocco or any other country, country but actually they would maybe considered as stateless persons or very close to being stateless persons, at least on a legal scale, because they don't have identity documents and this legal identity is in a very gray zone. And for them, what do you do for these kind of people who live in these gray zones and they may have to get access to, in order to travel, Western Sahrawis, in order to travel to Europe, they have to request passports from the Algerian government and these passports do not prove their nationality. They are just a piece of paper, a travel document granting the right to travel to Europe, for example, or Palestinians living in Jordan for the longest time have been able to access Jordanian passports as travel documents in order to travel abroad, but it's limited. It can be revoked at any point. So your, your rights are very restricted because you don't have the backing of a recognized state behind you. So that's another issue. That's all. That's very, very fascinating. Thank you so, so much, Ramesh, for coming on and speaking to us. And um, thank you to our listeners for listening to the Dublin Law and Politics Review podcast on citizenship and contested statehoods in de facto states. If you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to subscribe and find us on social media via at Dublin LPR or on our website at dublinlpr.ie. This podcast will also be aired on Swatch Radio Navi Mumbai and Galway Slurt FM. 
comments, questions and suggestions are very welcome via contact at dublinlpr.ie. Thank you, Ramesh, once again for joining me today. This was Neve Quinlan and I wish you a pleasant day. Thank you.